giving the consumer better product and better experience each and every day. Okay, welcome back to the Marketing Playbook presented by Details Interactive. Here you'll take away three game-winning marketing plays every episode to take back to your team. I'm your host, Mark Friedman, and my career has been focused on direct-to-consumer marketing, direct mail, physical retail, and digital commerce. This is episode number three, and today's guest is Matt Blonder. Matt is the global head of marketing, brand management, and digital commerce for Reebok. Let's open the playbook. Ready? Break. I'm joined today on the Marketing Playbook with a friend of mine from the industry, Matt Blonder. Matt is the Global Head of Marketing, Brand Management, and Digital Commerce at Reebok. Welcome, Matt. Thanks, Mark. Matt, maybe give us, uh, give the listeners here a, a brief overview of your background and then, you know, kind of your, your main responsibilities at Reebok. Yeah, absolutely. So, from a background perspective, I've been in the retail industry for... Um, 20 years now, which is a bit scary to say, have been in D2C almost my entire career and found my way into digital very, very early on at oldnavy.com back in uh, 2000. Loved the digital space, um, fell madly in love with the startup nature of it, the scrappy, uh, all hands on deck, uh, solving problems on the fly and just fast iterative evolution that the space goes through and has gone through since its inception um, and just stuck with it for years and years. So, you know, always in retail exclusively and almost always in digital exclusively. So made kind of a retail track and journey throughout my career, which landed me here at Reebok almost three years ago. Uh, so my current remit, as you mentioned, is uh, digital commerce, brand management and marketing. I started my career here digital exclusively um, two and a half years ago, almost three, and took on marketing and brand management about eight months ago. So a new challenge for me in my career and an exciting evolution to be a part of watching digital become not the thing that's locked behind closed doors, but out in the open and part of the, uh, the primary machine. So interesting journey and a lot of fun. You must be a heck of a young guy if uh, you're talking about how most of your career has been focused on digital. <laughs> um, I mean, I think we forget that digital at this point actually isn't as new as, as we think. Now, digital today is, I mean, light years from where it was when I started my career. Digital used to be just selling stuff online. And I remember when we hired our first affiliate manager when I was at UrbanOutfitters.com. And someone had to explain to me this concept of we pay people to talk about us. And when folks click through, we, we actually give a commission. Similarly, I remember the first time we hired someone to manage the uh, Amazon marketplace and uh, you know what that looked like 15 years ago, give or take. So, yeah, I've been, you know, I, I've, I've, I've been here since the beginning. But what it is today is not what it was when I started. That's for darn sure. 
Yeah, and we'll come back to Amazon in a second. But um, just in, in you, you laid out, you know, some of the companies that you have uh, worked in, and you know, when we were prepping, I kidded around that, and geez, you've been a, a company killer here, a retail <laughs> company killer. <laughs> You know, just just in you know, in looking at uh, your LinkedIn, you know, page, uh, Barnes and Noble, what you were there, you were at Toys R Us, you were at Sports Authority. Yeah. So you know, all, all kidding aside, you know, <laughs> the retail landscape has has really changed dramatically. And and obviously, other than the the digital commerce component, what else has changed in your mind that you know caused you know some very well known and established businesses either to go out of business completely or to really uh, require them to change their business practices? You know, I, I think one of the difficulties of being a an established company, whatever you know, whatever it is you're rooted in, and whatever that establishment looks like, you know, the more established you are, and the more success you've had in a certain way of working, the harder it is to pivot to a new way of working. The harder it is to retrain muscles and reset that long-standing muscle memory. So you talk about some of the places I've been. Um, that have you know have, have gone the way of many others in the retail space, um, and the common theme in a lot of those places was their um, you know the muscle memory was really really strong, and the organizational appetite, desire, or metabolism to dramatically pivot was relatively low. And sometimes it's a matter of investment. Sometimes it's a matter of sunk costs and you know, pre-existing investment. Sometimes it's a matter of opinion and ego. Other times it's a matter of skill set. But making those pivots requires an unbelievable amount of calories in the system. And in some cases, in ways and shapes and forms, it's just not possible to put that much calorie uh, or that many calories into the system to make the change. You know, I, I would say that, you know, the experience of trying to uh, bring an existing organization along in a new phase of growth, development, and evolution, uh, although hard, is for me something that's always really excited me. So even in those moments where it felt like we were, you know, rolling a boulder up a hill, uh, it still was incredibly fulfilling personally, professionally. Uh, you know, as I watched my team grow and become stronger and, uh, you know, better producers, better executors, better ideators, uh, sometimes those challenging environments where you get the most, the most growth and you get the most out of them. I personally am someone who doesn't like to be bored. Um, you know, I, I get a little bit antsy. And so the challenge to me is what excites and brings me to the table each day. Well, certainly retail is bringing us all kinds of challenges. And you, know, you talked a little bit about, you know, when you started at Reebok, you had one uh, role and responsibility and that's changed now. So what have you added to the mix? And, you know, is that change, you know, kind of a, a structural change in the company now putting more responsibility under one person and, and, and what was the, the company's uh, thinking beyond wanting to have Matt Blonder have a, a wider uh, role and responsibility, but it had to come with other reasons, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's nice to think that it was about wanting Matt Blonder to have you know, wider responsibility and a bigger role, but of course that wasn't the case. It was about what was right for the company and ultimately what's right for the consumer. 
and the recognition that in the past, carving digital out as a separate function within the organization made good sense because oftentimes the role of chief digital officer or head of marketing, or excuse me, head of digital was really about transformation and about bringing the organization along in that journey. But at a certain point, digital just becomes the thing that we do, right? It's how we do everything each and every day. And either you're a digitally focused, savvy, native, you know, use whatever term you wish, company and you survive and thrive, or you're not and you, you know, you go the way of so many folks in the space. Uh, so this really was a recognition of where the industry was going. And I give, you know, our president, my boss, a lot of credit for recognizing that we could take this opportunity to leapfrog and really get to where we need to be or we know we will need to be in a few years. So this was about you know, foresight. This was about being honest about the way the market is going and saying, why wait? Let's do it now. We don't have time to rest on our laurels. You know, we have to make this change if we're going to continue to thrive, grow. Um, and build this business. And so uh, with respect to the change that they made with you, and, and now that you've been in this revised role for a bit, um, have you made some other changes within the organization uh, to you know, help take some people that you have confidence in and, and add them uh, into other aspects of the business? Yeah, and I would say it, it's actually a place you know, in our journey that's very, very relevant we're undergoing a significant amount of change as an organization with the intention of getting closer to our consumer, moving more quickly, empowering our team members to make thoughtful data-driven decisions, uh, all in the quest of giving the consumer a better experience through product and through communications. Um, and in doing so, we have, and we're in the process of moving talent around in our organization to bring new ways of thinking and new ways of working to some of the more traditional areas and vice versa, bringing some of our traditional power and strength to some of the newer areas uh, that have you know, historically uh, of late sat a little off to the side. So a lot of work being done to reformulate not only our organizational structure, but also our organizational norms and principles, which is incredibly exciting. It's not, you know, for someone in the digital space, it actually isn't that transformative in the day to day, because we're so used to always iterating and evolving. But for other areas of the organization that have worked in a certain way, historically for some time, a significant injection of newness. Uh, but on both ends of that spectrum, it's, I think, equally exciting. Uh, and the feedback I get from our organization supports that notion. So culturally, was, you know, is Reebok the, the kind of an organization where this kind of change is you know, kind of tweaking? Or is, is this a, a more significant change and shock to the system? I mean, our brand is, lives in service to the game changer. Our consumer, we believe he or she all day, every day is trying new things in his life, whether it's at sport, whether it's from a stylistic perspective or the intersection of the two. Everything that he or she does is challenging the norm and the status quo. 
and so certainly we try to live that as well within our four walls from a corporate perspective. And so, you know, long answer to your short question of no, this is not about small tweaks within our system. This is about uh, seismic change within our system with the end goal, of course, of giving the consumer better product and better experience each and every day. You, you've talked a bunch about the customer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I see you know a number of companies and talk to to lots of folks like you, and, and have had jobs like mine. And and sometimes they forget to talk about the customer. Mm-hmm. You know, they you know you ask them who the customer is, especially. You know, and this is an interesting part. We'll get to in a bit about the the channels with which you work. You know, you sell quite a bit of product. You know, to other retailers, and and I've worked in environments where they were wholesale focused and you ask them who the customer is and they say Macy's and Nordstrom and, <laughs> and Amazon, as opposed to, you know, who's the, you know, the male or the female that is buying. So, you know, in, in your, you know, the, the culture and, and talking about the customer, is that also something that's infused and everybody's focused on the customer? It's a journey. And I think there are different functions that are further along in that journey. You're right. A huge portion of our business is our wholesale, and we have to focus maniacally on better partnering, better serving our wholesale customers every day in order to ensure that what the consumer experiences from our brand is the best possible iteration or version of our brand. You know, we, it's funny, I've, I have some industry colleagues who will go so far as to leave an empty chair at every single table for every single discussion with a name placard that says the customer or the consumer so that he or she ends up at the table for every single decision, which I think is a brilliant way to bring to life the notion of you can't lose sight. For us, it's about the vernacular and it's about constantly referring to the consumer in everything we do. We're actually very clear at Reebok. Our customer, historically, are our wholesale partners. Our consumer is the person who purchases our product. So I inherently know when we're talking about our wholesale partners, Um, versus the end consumer by virtue of the nomenclature that we use. But we try every day to be very, very clear and precise around who our end consumer is and bring her into every single conversation. Because if we don't, we're just talking to ourselves. That's a great distinction, customer versus consumer. Um, you know, one of the things in the in the marketing playbook podcast that we're doing here, we want our listeners to be able to come away with, you know, three points that they can take back into their businesses. Uh, one after they're done listening to our our amazing guests, and uh, I've already got five or six, Matt. So, oh, good, uh, you're welcome. Yeah, yeah. My my work yeah, is well, done. Yeah. So the the consumer versus the customer, I like that, and then you know, leaving the chair at the table uh, to represent uh, the end consumer. That's a that's a good one. You you've talked about uh, the company, and and as we we know that Reebok is a, a fairly extensive wholesale company. So you you sell wholesale. Well, let me. I should ask you, what are the channels that you sell Reebok product in? Yeah, so we sell wholesale uh, to third parties. We sell through our own stores, thousands around the globe. We sell through our uh, .com channels. Um, and then we sell through uh, you know, third-party relationships as well in our omni-channel approach. So you can interact with our brand in any number of ways and moments. 
which is why it's so critical for us to think about what the consumer sees at each of those touch points, because consumer doesn't parse between stores and online, between Reebok at a Reebok store versus Reebok at you know a third party store. Now, granted, when you're in the, the four walls that are branded, um, you know something different than the you know the Reebok brand. They notionally know where they are, but it doesn't preclude us from creating an amazing and engaging experience through the product and through the you know the point of sale uh, materials that we do provide to our third party partners so you know there there are a whole host they're the standard you know the, the usual suspects um, but the problems that we have to solve in each channel are, are quite different and and as the brand guy and you know you 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 know, and your team knows what you want Reebok to stand for, and you want to be able to communicate a consistent story. How challenging is that when wholesale is such a significant part of your business, and you are so reliant on third parties to tell that story to the end consumer? I mean, if you watch a consumer journey right now, I mean, there's, there's no standard consumer journey, firstly, but overwhelmingly so, consumers will even if they have no intent to purchase from a brand's own digital properties or physical properties, one of the most important touch points in the purchase journey is a brand's own digital experience. So we don't discount the role that our own Reebok.com experience or our Reebok stores play in a journey that may very well end at a footlocker or a footlocker.com. And so it's really about understanding what the consumer needs in the journey and each point in that journey and how each touch point can support the end goal, which of course is the selling of amazing products to enable you know, a fit and active lifestyle and ultimately create shareholder value for those, you know, those folks who choose to invest with Adidas. And so, you know, it's, for me, it's as much about, treating each interaction as precious and being very thoughtful about the importance of every interaction, whether it's an owned property or a non-owned property. And one of the, the, I think the pieces of value that I bring to the organization is having sat on the other side uh, at a wholesale retailer and knowing the types of things that the buyer or the digital marketer or merchandiser um, has to think through when he or she is dealing with myriad brands and how do you tell your own brand story through that lens and vice versa. So we're able to thoughtfully craft tools, comms, experiences in partnership with and for our third parties that help to tell our brand story while still meeting their needs because ultimately they wake up each morning thinking about their business and we wake up each morning thinking about ours and there may be moments where the two overlap, but we're going to get a much better result if when they do overlap, they're highly, highly complementary and supportive of each of our goals. So there's, there's a lot of thought that goes into how we architect an experience that is connected and consistent, but also respectful of the place and time where the consumer is experiencing it, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you mentioned Adidas. Uh, maybe tell our listeners uh, about the relationship uh, Adidas and Reebok. Yeah. So we're one company, uh, the Adidas company with two brands. Uh, we believe that through sport, we have the power to change lives. And Adidas' sport happens on the court 
and on the field um, while Reebok sport happens in the gym or in the studio. So, you know, our sport is a sport of fitness and Adidas's sport is more traditional sports, football, et cetera. Uh, but ultimately we are one brand or one company with one mission and two separate brands that serves that, that same mission. Thanks. And uh, switching gears for a second, well, for, to continue. Uh, so from a, the Matt Blonder uh, point of view, you know, we've got various marketplaces that are out there, uh, retailers and brands having to make their decision of whether they sell on these marketplaces or not. So um, either from your own uh, point of view or even what you're doing with your company, uh, what's your position on marketplaces, their, their place in the retail mix and, and how they are impacting brands? I, I mean, it's, it is, it and they are 800 pound gorillas that cannot be ignored. And each brand has its own perspective on how to manage those 800 pound gorillas to the best end for ultimately the shareholder um, and the consumer, of course. I've not yet seen a consistent view that is consistently supported in every instance. And so really what it comes down to, I believe, is the, you know, the company ethos and the company goal as it applies to its own growth. So some of these third-party marketplaces provide unbelievable access to consumers and you, know, you can show up where they are all day, every day but it means a reduced control over the brand experience and the brand expression. And of course it means a reduction in the, um, the level of connectivity to the consumer herself. And so, you know, for me, I want to show up where she is, when she is and how she wants. And, although one can argue in many directions about the efficacy of certain channels or certain marketplaces or certain platforms, at the end of the day, I believe our job is to find a strong business where there's business to be had. Now we have to do it strategically and we have to do it within the resource constraints that we have available to us. And so sometimes that does make decisions for you, but at the end of the day, there's a, there's a, a world we have to live in. I had a, a boss once who, told me I was struggling with a, a particular issue and I don't to this day don't really remember what the issue was but he said to me look Matt you can either change the world around you to fit your goals or you can change yourself to fit the world around you and I can tell you which one you've got a higher chance of success at um, it's not changing the world around you and so the the mantra that I've generally lived by from that point on is I'm not going to try to just change the world around me. I'm going to try to figure out the best way for me to exist in the world as it is currently set up. And if I have opportunities to affect that, then wonderful. But let's be realistic and pragmatic about the amount of change that one can affect on an entire ecosystem or world. That must be your uh, psychology training, your, your college <laughs> psychology training. It's not. I was actually a boss. Um, for, he, he was a McKinsey. He was an amazing person, an amazing mind. Um, you know, I'll, I'll deny it to this day if, you know, if, if he hears this podcast. But, you know, it certainly played to, to my education in psychology and anthropology, yes. 
That, that was uh, an important aspect of your, your career growth and, and culture. Um, it, it's, it, it sounds like in, in talking to you, it's really important uh, about the internal culture and, and your, um, that, that's a, a big interest of you, this whole you know, psychology and how people yeah. interact and communicate. You want to yeah. talk about that? Yeah. I mean, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I went to college. I don't know how anyone knows what they want to do. It's always humorous to me when I'm, I'm meeting with um, younger folks who are starting their college career and they're obsessing over declaring a major and knowing what they want to do for the next you know, 30, 40 years of your life. It just seems insane to me. Um, so when I went to college, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I you know, had multiple majors throughout my, my time there, you know, ranging from Spanish to art history to business and accounting psychology, anthropology, there's all sorts of, of stuff in there. And really what I, you know, I found was that people fascinate me and the human mind fascinates me. You know, I, I fell into retail. It wasn't intentional. I actually had intended to be a chef. I wanted to go to culinary school. Um, and when I, I wanted to take a little bit of break of a break between college and, and pursuing that endeavor, I fell into retail. And realized that it was actually a beautiful place for me because I was able to exercise the analytical side of my brain and complement it with a good degree of insight and education into what makes the, you know what makes people tick and putting the two together I feel from a you know a business success perspective has been critical but equally, if not more important, from an organizational behavior perspective, from a culture perspective, from a motivating and leading perspective, my education has lent itself to continued growth, um, opportunity, and success. And ultimately, the further I am in my career, the less important the tactical expertise is, and the more important the leadership motivation and, and, and guidance becomes. And so, you know, as I've gotten older, I've actually, I think, been able to be more successful as a function of my education than perhaps at the beginning of my career, which is actually, you know, upon reflection, a bit upside down and or backwards. Yeah. And, and that's an interesting point, simply from the perspective of, you know, I, I think there's a lot of, of the concept of just experience and career growth that's discounted today. So that as people, you know, age, uh, we look at them as they're, you know, further away from what's right. cool, what's cool and hot. And, you know, you, you're a, a 50 year old or more. How could you possibly be digitally savvy yeah. uh, when in reality, they're probably digitally savvy enough. And then they bring a whole bunch of other skill set to the table that, you know, oftentimes is not rewarded. Yeah, I mean, you're right. We can very easily, especially in the digital sp space, slip into um, pockets of ageism. And it's, for me, a big watch out. I believe strongly in building highly diverse and complementary teams and encourage my teams as they are building their own teams to make sure that they're not hiring an army of clones or an army of folks who think exactly like them. So, you know, you'll, it's very common to hear me say things like, make sure as you're hiring or as you're forming that you've got the dreamer, you've got the operator, you've got the project manager, you've got the, you know, the, the mother hen, papa bear, call it what you will, 
but you need to have highly diverse groups of people because that's how you get the best out of each other. And you know, diversity of experience, diversity of age, diversity of, you know, of thought, like all of these things I think are critical to creating a really well-balanced organization. Um, so we have, you know, some of our most valuable team members in the digital space are some of our more tenured team members because they do and can bring a different perspective to the table that's important for us to consider. And so, you know, we think a lot about that, but you're absolutely right. Being 50 um, doesn't, or it doesn't make someone less potentially successful. It's about the behavior, it's about the mindset, it's about the way of thinking and working. It's not, you know, about the age or, um, you know, anything else. I've seen folks right out of college or who have even chosen not to go to college who are absolute rock stars. Um, and I've seen folks who are very, very late in career who are equally um, rock star-ish. And the beauty of it is that the folks who are later in career lend and bring, lend value and bring some of the folks who are younger in career along in a way they wouldn't otherwise. And folks who are newer in career, you know, help some of the folks who are, you know, who maybe are more tenured and have more muscle memory around certain ways of working, challenge them to think differently. And I think that's what, you know, that's where we get like, the beauty and the magic is when we create those folks who lift each other up as opposed to all march together and, and maybe, you know, tamp each other down. Right. And you talk about thinking differently and diversity. Um, you know, the world is, you know, continues to change and, you know, Reebok sells men's product. They sell uh, women's product as, as a lot of brands do, but this move to marketing in a genderless world, um, how are you thinking about that? You know, as, as you, as an individual and, and Reebok as a brand, yeah, that's an interesting one. It is, it's an important topic for us to be aware of and to be planning for. I posed the question actually to a group of our leaders and not just in the digital space, but across the organization. So from design, from concept to design, to digital experience, to marketing, about 18 months ago, we sat down and said, all right, we need to start planning for retail in a genderless world. And, you know, the, the, the irony is my head of experience um, who's fully for it reminded me that the highest clicked um, navigational element on our site is gender that's the first place that most people go currently when they shop and so for us you know it was it's a good reminder that we've got to know where we're going but we also have to know where we are and we don't want to move too quickly such that we're so far ahead of the curve that we lose our consumers, but we also don't want to move so slowly that we, you know, we're not along you know, for the, the ride with them and we're not meeting them where they want to be met. Um, but I guess, you know, to answer your question more succinctly, it starts with putting a line in the sand and saying, this is something that we need to consider. This is something we don't have to have a solution for today, but we need to be working toward a solution because if we don't, we're going to have a big problem. Uh, and so it, it begins with a recognition of the problem and, you know, then in putting that line in the sand to say, this is something that we need to solve. And there's a lot of work, you know, in our own organization and team being done to solve that problem such that when it is a big enough problem for our consumer, we're ready with the solution for her. 
Yeah, that's great. And so I think that's, you know, making sure that you understand where you are is, is mm-hmm. key because, you know, you could be on the bleeding edge of, of something and, and you're, you know, your consumer just not ready to uh, jump on and understand what you're trying to accomplish. So that, mm-hmm. that's, that, that's important advice. The devil's in the details. You've probably heard that phrase time and time again in your professional life. Projects get started with great intentions, but you no longer have the time to pay attention to the little things that could be the difference between success and failure. At Details Interactive, you can discuss your business with a seasoned direct-to-consumer marketing executive who's helped launch and grow web businesses and integrate multi-channel marketing initiatives. Learn more at detailsinteractive.com. Let's switch to data and and analytics. I, I know that, you know, um, that's an important aspect of all of these businesses, whether they're digital or not. How explain to us a little bit how you're using data uh, and analytics to help drive the business, and and maybe that also includes the the new loyalty program, or maybe not so new anymore, but the loyalty program that you mm-hmm. guys launched. Yeah, so we've put a stake in the ground and said clearly to our organization that data-driven decision making is a key pillar of our success. And we will and are investing in creating a more data-driven culture every day, which means we have to have the data. We have to have the data cleaned and aligned. We have to have folks who can access the data, who can help to synthesize that data, and then really turn it into meaningful insights with actions. We are currently growing our data and analytics organization by over 100%. Um, and we're also expanding the scope of our data and analytics organization to include all aspects of the company. So historically, data and analytics had been more of a digital play uh, because the data is immediate and we own it. The, the governance is tighter on, on our owned properties. And we're really taking that view and expanding it, like I said, to all aspects of the company, whether it's product design, product creation, marketing communications creation, the you know, creation of moments and experiences, you know, whether it's using MarTech to dynamically serve up experiences that are completely bespoke, et cetera. We've put that line and said, this has to be how we behave if we're going to scale. The loyalty program that we launched last year uh, was absolutely meant to be a foundational pillar of that intention. So, you know, it, it's, it's great to say you want to use data to make decisions, but we have to make sure we have the right data for the decisions that need to be made. And a lot of the decisions that need to be made are about how we better serve our consumer every day and having a relationship with that consumer and permission to really deeply know her um, was important to us, which is why we built and launched a loyalty program and why we made sure the program was complementary to the business and business accretive as opposed to um, something that would end up diluting our business um, through, you know, like a, a discount based program. Uh, but all of it was intended to build that, that connection and that view and then our ability to take the data and do something meaningful with it. Right. And on the, the loyalty program, um, you know, when I was at Steve Madden, we created a loyalty program and, you know, we did it with the, I think a lot of the same guidelines and desires that you've talked about. So when, when you set out to build your program, what, what are the benefits that a customer gets from being part of the program? 
there are myriad benefits. Um, you know, some of them are as simple as white glove concierge customer service for our upper tiers of membership that will actually move down to some of the, the, the lower tiers. But many of the benefits are benefits that are only deliverable by Reebok uh, and its associated partners. So whether it's brand experiences, whether it's ringside seats at a UFC fight or courtside tickets, <clears throat> whether it is VIP access to the CrossFit games, whether it's personalized training plans for the next Ragnar race, nutrition plans to meet your specific fitness goals, connectivity to our network of 160,000 trainers around the globe. There are a number of benefits that we're constantly curating, evaluating, tweaking, adding, subtracting, but ultimately our goal is to have an ecosystem of benefits that all add up to something truly meaningful for our consumer and something meaningful for a variety of types of consumers. We don't wanna mean all things to all people, but we wanna make sure that our benefits meet the majority of our consumers in a place they wanna be met and add that accretive value that they're looking for. Right. Gotcha. That's uh, really helpful. And I know, are you finding that the, the consumers are, I, I realize you're not going to give away uh, the company secrets, but you know, is the, is the program resonating with your consumers? Absolutely. I mean, we've seen average order value and purchase frequency increase significantly. Uh, for those folks who are in the program. We see dramatic differences, although this is not shocking, between our lower tier members and our upper tier members in terms of purchase frequency and average order value. But what's most exciting is that we see significant movement from lower tiers to higher tiers as a function of the work the team does to create meaningful benefit that's targeted and personalized. So we're moving 5,000 folks each week from one tier to a higher tier, and we're reducing significantly the churn or attrition of our consumers, which of course is ultimately the goal. We wanna move people up the value chain and we wanna keep more folks within our ecosystem. So the program is working exactly as intended and is beating our initial expectations too, which is wonderful. We have a, a rollout plan for rest of world. We're already in two countries and two languages, and we'll be growing um, you know, beyond uh, the current scope over the course of uh, coming quarters. You've got so many places um, underneath your um, your sphere of influence from where you spend your money. Um, how are you thinking through with your team? You know, if, if somebody came to you and, and dropped a million dollars on your table and said, all right, let's go uh, spend this million dollars to drive business, knowing that you can do things that are, you know, let's call it traditional media, you can do digital, you could do store events and things. Do, do you feel like at this point, you have your arms around where the where you get the biggest bang for the buck and where that next million dollars would be best spent? Absolutely. So one of the beauties of growing up in a digital space is everything has a direct ROI because it's all very, very measurable. Not all, but most very, very measurable. And so I've grown up in a world where I can know exactly the return of every dollar spent. And then, of course, we all as marketers know that there's halo effect to most of our activities, which just adds value to return 
Um, so I try to boil it down to that, which is very concrete. Um, and whether that's through, you know, uh, attribution modeling, et cetera, or whether it's through sticking to channels that we can uh, easily quantify and probably, you know, a hybrid of the two over the course of years, building up an understanding of how things work together. Um, we take a very, very ROI-centric approach. We make sure that everyone in the organization understands the, uh, the true nature of a dollar spent and a dollar earned. What does full P&L flow through look like? What does profitability look like? And how do we ensure that everyone is committed to healthy bottom line contribution in every single thing that they do? Now, that's not to say that everything that we do has a direct and immediate positive effect. But through a variety of test and learn methodologies, we understand the halo and net effect of everything we do and we direct dollars accordingly. We're, you know, we, like everyone else out there, there's more that we could do and would like to do. Um, and we end up having to make difficult decisions as a function of the resources available to us. And for me, it comes down to a combination of the immediate return, the long-term return, you know, our strategic goals and how each of our potential decisions ladders up to those strategic goals um, over the course of, of time and making sure that we're considering each of those inputs and each of those you know, net outputs allows us to make the decisions thoughtfully. But certainly I know where money needs to go. Yeah, that's great. Uh, awesome. So we're getting down to the uh, end of our time together. And one of the things that we do uh, in the marketing playbook, and there's this little football theme here, playbook and, and all. So we've got a two minute drill uh, at the end of the show. Um, got uh, six or seven questions that uh, I ask uh, each of the guests. So doesn't need a, uh, a, long, uh, a long answer. It could be just one or two words or whatever comes to mind. So are you ready oh, for that? Uh, uh, yeah, bring it on. All right, bring it on. There you go. Um, a brand other than yours that you admire or that inspires you? Apple. Okay, there you go. Favorite app on your phone? Hangouts. Last website other than Amazon that you shopped from? Can't be Reebok. <laughs> uh, Maison Margiela. Okay. Uh, something that you're good at, not good at, but wish that you were? Oh, man. I can't carry a tune to save my life. Uh, <laughs> I've heard that one before. Uh, I've heard <laughs> that one before. Not alone. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, charitable organization that you are very passionate about? Um, National Kidney Foundation. If you had one superpower, what would it be? I wrestle with that one. Um, I have a hard time deciding between invisibility and flight because, of course, I want both. Um, <laughs> you know, as, I'm, as, as I get older, I find myself feeling invisible at times. Um, so maybe <laughs> I'll go with flight. Okay. And then the last one is, uh, other than family, your most prized possession. That's an interesting one. There's so many things that I, I, I prize the weirdest things. Um, your yoga mat? <laughs> that's replaceable. <laughs> no, for me, the most prized possessions are the things you can't replace. There's a drawing that one of our kids did for me that for what, it's just very, very special to me. The process is, is part of what made it so special, but it was also the first drawing. And I, I you know, it's, it, there are very few things that can make me smile as quickly and as broadly as, uh, as spending a little time with, with just this portrait that was done of me. 
Yeah, well, kids have a way of doing that to yep. uh, to all of us, I, I think. So uh, anyway, we're, Matt, we're down to uh, the end of the show. I really want to thank you for spending your time. Um, I, I know that uh, you have a busy schedule. It was really enlightening. I think you gave us uh, lots of good things to take away and uh, look forward to chatting with you again down the road. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, that's it. Today's game ball goes to Matt Blonder for coming on the Marketing Playbook. To me, today's three game-winning marketing plays were as follows. Number one, for almost any business that you operate in, knowing the customer is critical. Take time to listen to them so you can best service their needs. Number two, data and analytics are not simply a digital play, but the needs extend throughout the business. All customer touch points need to be combined into a central repository, and the business teams need tools that provide access in order to make management actionable decisions. And number three, Create diverse yet complementary teams. Do not hire just to clone yourself, but find people with varying skills that can work off of one another. Thank you, Playbook Marketers, for listening to another episode. If you want to check out more pages of the Marketing Playbook, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast spot and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Details Interact and learn more at DetailsInteractive.com. Until next time, The devil is in the details.